0: Thank you for having us all on your campus this week, that you've opened your arms to us, and we're so appreciative and so glad to be with you. Happy to share God's word with you. As you've already heard, Malachi 1.11 says, "For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name, the Lord says, will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering." For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God's name speaks of his nature, his attributes, his glory, his absolute uniqueness as the creator, and his utter holiness. In Isaiah 42.8, God declares, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God is saying, my name is mine alone. My glory is mine alone. My praise is mine alone. The psalmist understood that when he wrote in Psalm 115 verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Glory belongs to God alone, and his name speaks of, represents that glory. That's why the third commandment says that his name is not to be taken in vain. That is, it's not to be uttered lightly or flippantly or as an oath or as a curse or as a profanity or in any other reason other than to lift up that name in worship. God's name is unspeakably holy because it represents him who is unspeakably holy. And as we've heard from Malachi 11, God's intention and plan and purpose is for his name to be seen as great among the nations, for the peoples of the earth to bow down and worship and acknowledge him as creator and redeemer. We want this morning briefly to survey that great theme, the trajectory of all human and biblical history, God at work to make his name great, to show himself glorious and almighty and merciful and gracious among all the nations of the earth. We learn, of course, early in the scriptures that mankind had another idea. After sin infected the human race through the fall, we see mankind running the other way. Case in point, the inhabitants of Babel in Genesis 11, who instead of filling the earth according to God's command, instead huddled together, congregated together, and sought to build a great monument to themselves as they pridefully declared, as we read in Genesis 11:4, let us make a name for ourselves. In their pride, they wanted to exalt their own name, not God's. So, we read that God confused their language. They, he dispersed them from there over all the face of the earth, we read. This judgment of God results in the formation of natures and cultures and the many different languages of the earth. And This confusion of languages is why we have to study Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> and other languages, why missionaries have to spend years and years learning the language of their target group, why we need translators for international events and so forth. That's all the result of God's judgment on Babel. And yet, while God has forced the formation of nations and languages, God has a plan for those nations, as we see already, of course, in the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. And you remember as the climax of the amazing promises made to Abraham, God declares in Genesis 12:3 that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So while God is focusing in on one man and one family and plans to grow one special people, one called nation from Abraham's descendants, at the same time God's intention and plan in the long term is always for the worldwide blessing of all peoples, often called, therefore, the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Now, even though the Old Testament is largely Israel's story, yet we see time and time again glimmers of the larger purposes of God for the nations. In fact, God's purpose in the Exodus was not only to judge the false gods and false worship of Egypt, and to redeem for himself a special worshiping people out of slavery. But his purpose was also through his mighty acts in the plagues and in the parting of the Red Sea to show his name great among the surrounding nations. And we get a glimpse of the power of that demonstration in Joshua 2, when in Jericho, the harlot Rahab hides the two Israeli spies. Forty years after the events of the Exodus, what God had done in Egypt was still resonating among the surrounding peoples. And it had gripped Rahab's heart as well. So we read in Joshua 2.11, she says to the spies, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That is a profession of faith from the lips of Rahab. And we read how Rahab and her family are spared in the destruction of Jericho. And later, Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews, even includes Rahab among one of the great heroes of the faith, where he writes that by faith Rahab hid the spies. And then we read in Matthew chapter 1, in his genealogy there, how she is not only enfolded into the nation of Israel, but marries, becomes the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth. She becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David himself, and amazingly finds her way into the family tree of the Lord Jesus himself. Such is the grace of God that this Gentile prostitute can find her way into the ancestral line of the Savior. There is no hopeless cause. As Hebrews 2 says, he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. As you know, Israel more often than not forgot its mandate to be a light to the nations. They enjoyed their status as the special chosen people of God and look down upon other peoples. But the psalmist in Psalm 67 gets it right. He has God's perspective. He begins by saying in verse one of Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us, he prays, and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Any Jew and could and would have prayed that, but he goes on from there to say, God be gracious to us and bless us, Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. God chose and blessed his people so that they would be a light to the other nations, to the honor of God's name, and the praise of his glory. The Psalms are in fact full of commands to Israel to call the nations and the peoples of earth to come to the one true God. So in Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Psalm 108 3 says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, I will sing praise to you among the nations. And we see in the Psalms God's own goal for the nations. Psalm 86.9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. God says in Psalm 46.10, we usually stop too soon in that verse. We all know he says, be still and know that I am God. But he goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When we come to the New Testament, we want to observe several things. Jesus of course not only reached out comfortably to the rejects, the untouchables of Jewish society, but he in fact honored faith wherever he found it. So in the Roman centurion, in the Syrophoenician woman, in the Samaritan woman at the well. And then, of course, in the Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, Jesus instructed his disciples they were to make disciples of all the nations. And as a reminder, he told them right before his ascension in Acts 1, 8, as you know, that the Holy Spirit would enable them to go beyond the borders of Israel, even to the uttermost parts of the earth with the gospel message. Then we see in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the end of the language curse. As miraculously, the praises of God are articulated and understood in many different languages. But in Acts, there's still some inertia and resistance against going beyond the borders of the Jewish nation and accepting Gentiles as full partners in the Christian church. Until at the Jerusalem Counter in Acts 15, we have that epochal decision that flung the door wide open to all peoples to come on the basis of faith in Christ alone. As Andrew Walls has put it, the apostolic decree of Acts 15 builds cultural diversity into the Christian Church forever, and makes GCAM our Global Consultation Arts and Music and Missions possible celebrating that cultural diversity. Paul, in Romans 15, draws from the Old Testament itself to express the joy and delight of Gentiles. Of course, the word Gentiles is the same translated as nations elsewhere. It's the same word. But the joy and delight of the Gentiles being welcomed into the family of God. So in Romans 15, 8 through 11, Paul Right, so I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. Finally, we come to the great scenes of worship in the book of Revelation, and we see the beautiful cultural and national diversity gathered around the throne of God in heaven. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10 speak, as you know, of the great multitude that no one could number. Just think about the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplexed filled with the people of God, and beyond, and even greater. A multitude that no one can number, gathered around the throne of God. What an amazing scene that will be. And that number is identified as made of those from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages. Notice two things about this scene. First, that innumerable throng cries out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They don't cry, we're saved, we're saved. But rather, salvation belongs to our God. They are utterly God-centered, God-focused, declaring, He did this. He planned for our salvation." He carried out everything necessary. He sent his son to the cross for our forgiveness. He raised him from the dead. He brought us to faith. He did it. Salvation belongs to our God and to the lamb. And secondly, we see here that the judgment of God on the rebellious human race at Babel that resulted in the formation of nations and the multiplying of languages with all the complications that have resulted. Here we see that the praises of God are multiplied and enriched and expanded by being brought by all nations and peoples and tribes in all their different languages. God in his sovereignty takes the worst that rebellious humanity can throw at him and turns it to his praise. He receives more praise, multiplied praise, because of that diversity that came out of man's rebellion originally. Of course, the ultimate example of God sovereignly causing our sin to be turned to good is the crucifixion of the Son of God at the hands of sinful men, which results in our eternal salvation. And here we see that God has turned rebellion, curse, and judgment into blessing, as only God can do, and into the magnifying of his praise by the nations coming with all their distinctives and their diversity, with all their languages and their cultures and their arts, that incredible diversity, which has already started in the Church of Jesus Christ. We had a taste of that this morning even. That's what we'll be celebrating all week at GCAM, that incredible diversity, that incredible multiplying of God's praise through all the diversity that he has planted among the nations. God's name will be great among the nations. The nations will come in their beautiful diversity to heap praises, multilingual, multicultural praises to the God of their salvation. God's name will be great among all nations and they will come and together we will all join in with what John in Revelation 15 calls the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Where the throng says, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Let's pray together. As the psalmist says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds. Whereas the hymn writer said, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, and light inaccessible hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy name great. Thy great name we praise. We thank you that from the rising of the sun to its setting, your name will be great among the nations. There is no one like you, no one but you who deserves that praise. You are the Lord. That is your name, your glory you give to no other. And we lift your name in praise. You are great and you are great and will be great among the nations forever. As we lift our praises into eternity with all that diversity and beauty of cultural differences and languages and whatnot, multiplying your praise among the peoples of the earth as we gather in that innumerable number around the throne to say, you are God, there is none like you. You deserve, in fact, that eternal praise. Your name is great among the nations. And we thank you that that is all possible through our Lord Jesus Christ and his redeeming work on our behalf. And we give you thanks forever in his name. Amen.